Industry Pods and Evergreen Podcast Network are pleased to present the following podcast. This content is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any such information or other material as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. Nothing contained on here constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Draper Gorenholm or any third-party service provider to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments whatsoever. I'm bringing out the entire oh, bottle of control. They're all exactly the same. Crypto art. And then what it really is, is an NFT. Wow. How do you want to slap the bag? So this is the next best thing. DeFi is going to be a bubble. It's provably scarce. With Mad Dog. Crypto, gold, and silver. Transparent substance. Take my money and start a war with it. Without further ado. Oh, yeah. Cheers to you, brother. Get shit done. Because the system has to collapse before that. Mark Corona. Cheers. I feel much better now. Cheers. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like butchering this. Yo, yo, Boozer Nation. Welcome to Blockchain and Booze Session 50. Uh, I don't want to talk too much because tonight's guest is... Uh, one that I was kind of fangirling over in the green room. Uh, and I'm very, very excited to, to have him on. I know a lot of my family, we spent uh, time growing up watching Shark Tank, uh, watching the Mavs, watching Mark and all that. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and bring up our, our guest so we can get right to the point. Mark Cuban, welcome to mm-hmm. Blockchain and Booze. Oh, we caught you in the moment. Caught me. You know, you got to get from my BSB. <laughs> nice. Cheers. Cheers. Is that is that Texas based? Where is that? Um, Oregon based, um, but Texas sold. It's just good. It's kind of nice. like step up to gold sloggers and just like fireballs. It's just like the next level up a lot, a lot smoother. Cool. Well, well, cheers to you. Thank you for being on session 50 and you got your water smart, your chaser. <laughs> cool, man. Well, let, let's get to the point, right? Uh, first of all, how are you feeling? How, how are you I doing? Good. Are you alive? I mean, yeah, I feel you- better now, right? <laughs> <laughs> Excited to be on. Well, yeah, I wasn't planning that. So, yeah, I feel good. Good. Excited to be on Blockchain and Booze? I've been dreaming about it. It's just, just like a dream about. come true. It's That's right up there. Win the championship, you know, Blockchain and Booze. It's just like... <laughs> right, right next. Sometimes I'd even say Blockchain and Booze is a little bit You up know, I, I, I got that trophy up over this. No, we're shorter, but over whatever. That's shorter, <laughs> right? And it's just like I was going to take it down and just put just screenshot this and just frame it. Nice, nice. I love it. All right, let let's get right to the point, okay? Uh, you've been super vocal about crypto lately. It's amazing. Crypto Twitter is going mad over it. Uh, yeah. So I kind of I want to take a couple steps back, really quick, okay? And, and to kind of paint a picture of where we are today in the grand scheme of things, okay? You started off as being a pioneer in the audio streaming world back in the '90s with Broadcast.com, right? Everybody knows that. Tell me, how does that period compare to where we are today in crypto? The same, the exact same thing. And it's not so, you know, if you look at the early days of the internet, the internet started like in the 60s and 70s for um, defense um, department purposes. And then in the 80s, it picked up more for um, universities. And then in the 90s, once you saw Mosaic from Mark Andreessen, um, then it really took off. And crypto is kind of the same thing. The early days... Um, a Bitcoin kind of got it started and got people excited. And then you thought, saw Ethereum and then the ICOs. And now you've seen, you know, smart contracts and other improvements come along. And that's really what triggered it. Um, smart contracts in particular um, on, on blockchain is just a game changer and puts it in the middle of everything. So are you are you seeing the same level of skeptics when it comes to uh, you pitching this stuff to other people? Like, are you are you feeling the same level of are you crazy for jumping into this and being such a proponent? Yeah, of course. I mean, look, when we were started streaming and nobody was doing it, I used to try to have to explain it. And people were like, dude, I'll just turn on the TV. What the hell do I need? Because back then you had to have a PC with a modem. You had to download a TCP IP client. You had to download a media player and then you had to make the whole thing work. So it was a pain in the ass, just like getting a wallet, you know, and trying to connect with your bank or credit card or whatever. And then do know your customer stuff and scan in your, you know, the front and back of your ID. It's a pain in the ass now still for for most applications. But that's that's the type of stuff that fixes itself over time. Yeah, Uh, I I, so 
getting into the space when I was first dabbling into crypto, I remember I was telling my dad, uh, I want to go full throttle into Bitcoin, into blockchain, all that stuff. And he called me crazy. He's like, what is this funny internet money? Uh, <laughs> and and here we are today on blockchain and boost. Uh, so move, you, move. You've come so far, Adam. So, I, so far. I've, Mark, I've come so far, man. Uh, I want to I wanna kind of talk about, because this is always a fun question. And as we, we start the show, uh, you have a lot of things going on, okay? You're doing Shark Tank. You're an investor. Uh, you you run the Dallas Mavericks, and you're now learning how to program in the language of Solidity, right? Mm-hmm. How how do you balance everything, especially now on the on the programming side? Like you're getting so deep into crypto, where do you find that that balance to, well, to kind well, of prioritize your time? My first company was a company called Micro Solutions, and all I did was database programming. And you know we were we were a systems integrator that we had 80 employees, 30 some million in sales, and so I did distributed database applications, you know, multi-user applications, you name it. And so you know once you learn how to program, picking things up, and you know I know some Python, and so picking up Solidity is not hard. Um, it's really just a matter of learning the variables and the capabilities of smart contracts, and and then from there it's really you know learning the differences between all the different blockchains that are trying to capture market share. And that's really the hard part because it's hard to tell what's real and what's not. Um, but in terms of finding time, you just got to do it. Either you're going to be caught up or you're not. And so, you know, whatever whatever it takes, I'm, I'm sitting there, you know, reading all the white papers or the light papers, you know, and, and just trying to figure it all out. So do you actually spend the time to go through white papers detail by detail, understand like their technical uh, foundation and all that? Like, how do you kind of like approach that? Well, the foundation is all pretty much the same, right? You know, so some might have proof of state, proof of work. Some are ledgers, you know, some do um, confirmations and um, mine, some do mining, um, some do validation. And so they're all just different versions of the same thing. And they're all trying to accomplish the same thing. You know, how are they going to get developers? And, you know, so they all went out and sold tokens or raised money. And now they're using their foundations to, to push um, applications to be built. And, and so you just... When, when there's this rush right now, you just got to get your arms around some of it. And over time, most of them will fall out, just like we saw with ICOs, right? And yeah. then you see which ones are, are the strongest. And, but it's really, really interesting because at, at its base, it's all about Ethereum. You know, so you've got people arguing that 2.0 is going to be like lightning was for Bitcoin, right? And it's going nowhere. And then other people feel the exact opposite. Then you have sharding versus um, what is drops versus... Um, all the different, you know, the, the GPUs using extended GPUs and serial um, parallel CPUs or GPUs, all these different applications and approaches, you just got to get a, you know, get a feel for how they're going to be used and who's using them and, and see see what works. So let, let's talk about what works. Let's talk about Ethereum, uh, because you seem to be very vocal about it, especially as you dabble in the in the streams of DeFi, right? So off the bat, what has your experience been like? You, you're using all these protocols, these different lending protocols, for which applying part? liquidity in uh, general, for, just oh, just yeah. playing around with DeFi. Oh, with DeFi specifically, yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, DeFi is a mess, right? Because everybody's competing with liquidity. That doesn't mean you can't make money. That doesn't mean you shouldn't use it. But it, but it's a real mess. And you've got everybody ca- trying to come in and pick off different banking applications. You know, let's do this with a savings account. So they'll pay 4% and whatever liquidity, whatever money we raise, we can go out and earn 10% and keep the delta. You know, we could do this part of banking or that part of banking but everybody is chasing liquidity. So you get these bizarro APYs that are paid off in, in the, the native coin or native tokens. And then you get people, you know, just trying to hedge it all and deal with it all. And so it, it's, you know, I don't know if it's a race to the bottom yet, but, but it's a challenge. And to me, part of the most interesting part is where the liquidity is coming from. Most of it's not coming from the United States. You know, and it's coming from all over the world and and particularly Asia. And so all these DeFi companies you talk to, they're, you know, they're coming to me and I'm asking them where else are they getting the liquidity and it's whales all over the place. And so that kind of changes how all this work and makes it a little bit riskier at at some level. But, you know, it it doesn't change the technology underneath it. And to me, that's the most important part. So talking more about the technology and the kind of problems that it solves, uh, without without mentioning projects, because I know you don't like to to shout out tickers and and right. um, tokens outside of Doge, of you expect, expecting expecting uh, accepting Doge, to we'll moon, get into baby. that to the moon. To the moon. 
I wonder if Doge's price is going to go up after this uh, interview. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It'll go up from 0.0577 to 0578. There you go. And you're, and you're winning. What did you do? Over 20,000 transactions so far? You're yeah, the largest Dogecoin? Week. Yeah, that, that was last week. So I haven't looked this week. I want to be pleasantly surprised. <laughs> Amazing. So from, from more of a, a problem solution type of perspective, because when I see you on Shark Tank, okay, someone's pitching you something, you're, you're many times like, what is a problem that you're solving? Okay, right. let's dabble into DeFi right now. What, what are some of the major problems that exist in the current financial system that you see decentralized finance tackle without mentioning specific tickers, just from a pure principle perspective? Personal banking, right? Just look, for me to borrow money, I have to be over collateralized with my bank. I've got to call somebody. I've got to do a DocuSign or sign something. It's got to get approved at multiple levels. Even, even if I'm borrowing $10,000, you don't want to know how much money I have in my bank account just to borrow that. Um, so unless I'm putting it against a credit card or just writing the check, it's a hassle. And then even for me, again, the fees are, are ridiculous as a percent and a replication and this and that. And so, you know, owning... Um, a crypto asset, whether it's Bitcoin, Ethereum, some others, um, a stable coin, I can, I can do my own banking and it's very friction free and it's very straightforward and it's fast. Um, you know, you're not necessarily, you're not borrowing against your future earnings, but whatever you've been able to earn and save um, and, 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 and convert to a crypto asset, Go for it, right? And just that lack of friction is, to me, the game changer. Um, and the same thing applies for corporations. You know, more and more and more, I'm trying to get my companies to say, okay, just take three or five or ten percent of your cash balances that you cash manage and you're making nothing on, and you know, let's learn how to use some DeFi to increase your yields on that. And even if we have a, a failure rate of three percent or four percent, we're still going to make more money than the one half a percent we're getting from the bank right now. Yeah. So let, let, let's dive deeper into that for a second. So you're advising the companies in your port codes. OK, uh, you're telling them dabble in DeFi, like you said, what do you what, what do you want them to apply their money to? Like these liquidity pools that that Dex has used, like uh, or the, these lending protocols, like what do you what are you excited about here? It really depends because they're all different. Right. The thing that I'm telling them not to do is to stake long term. Right. If you've got to, you know, if you're staking and even if there's like a what is 11 days on Ave, 11 day cooling down period, you know, you don't they're not ready for that yet. You know, because particularly small to medium sized businesses, they want access to their cash. That's why it's in the account type of account that it is. And so really, it's just getting up to speed and being able to pick and choose some areas. And in some cases, talking to me and saying, OK, who can we trust and who, who don't we trust or are not sure about? And not chasing the biggest yields, but, you know, just chasing any yield whatsoever that you feel is safe. Because what, what, I, what I try to get them to stay away from, you can tell when a coin or a, a hub, a DeFi hub is trying to chase liquidity, right? And they're just paying ridiculous numbers. And it's, it's really, it seems attractive on the surface, but unless you're dealing with, you know, unless you really know what you're doing, it's going to be difficult to figure it out and run your business at the same time. And then if you're smaller and you only have a thousand dollars or whatever, just, you know, your gas fees, you're going to end up spending more on your gas fees or you're having to hold to get that API an extended period of time just to make back your gas fees, let alone make a yield on it. And so just trying to get them to understand those elements as well. Sure. So when you when you look for these DeFi protocols and these various projects that claim to do X, Y, Z, is there any set of, I guess, like a standard or metrics you kind of look for to determine the viability of a project? Not really. I mean, just to be honest, I don't do a lot of DeFi. I'm, I'm not yield chasing at all. You okay. know, where I've done it, I've done it just to learn and to get a better understanding how this works versus that one. And, you know, what's from native tokens and how it's being paid and how can I hedge or how can I get to liquidity and how quick and what's the return? So I haven't, I, because, and I have some friends that do it in a big way that are making a lot of money and they're trying to convince me, but you know, for me, I'm conservative enough that I'm like, I, I need to be on top of this, right? I'm just not going to trust it to, to make it work because you see hacks and I'm not necessarily worried about hacks, but I'm more worried about the mistakes that I'll make, right? Where, oh, what do you mean I have to stake for two years, right? In order for this to, to pay me my 7.4%. 
Um, and so those are the types of things that, you know, unless you're really into it, you're more liable to make those mistakes. So for me, it's more learning about the principles and the strategies and the business side of it so that as I go forward, I can make smart decisions. Yeah. Do you, do you see at some point like more corporations? Cause you, you mentioned you, the liquidity doesn't come from the U S right. This is obviously a gray area and, and, I'd even argue large private companies don't even want to touch this stuff quite yet uh, because it's just unregulated and whatnot. So a lot of the liquidity, like you said, may be coming from Asia, uh, Middle East, Europe, wherever. Okay. Uh, at what point do you think you'll start seeing more of these U.S. Uh, based corporations, private entities, these Fortune oh, 500 almost companies? Almost immediately. Almost immediately. Yeah. Right. So I mean, I've talked to a bunch of them, and it's more like. You know, just take a little piece, not because you're trying to yield farm specifically, but you've got to learn, right? right? And you've got to get your people up to speed because if there are relationships you develop or there are approaches that you trust, put aside, you know, the thousand APY, right? Or, or even the 30 or 40, you know, just if you're, you're making, you know, 12, 11% off a of stable coin, right? Um, Maybe there's something there for you to try, but you have to get your people up to speed. So just take $10,000 or $25,000 and see what happens. I'm not saying, you know, put in a ton of money and now you're a whale and you're a big liquidity provider and you can, you know, get discounts on tokens and all these other things, right? I'm saying just try it because at some point in the near future, that's going to be part of the job of a CFO. Just like you have chief financial officer, you have chief information officer, chief revenue officer, you know. I think there's there's going to be a chief crypto slash DeFi officer. So, you know, maybe it's not as high, but somewhere along the mix, you're going to want somebody that manages your money that way for you because it's it's a unique opportunity. Now, I don't think these super high APYs are going to last forever. I think a lot of them will crater, but you know, I think DeFi is here to stay. It's just a question of who. Yeah. So actually, how how long have you been dabbling with DeFi? When when did you first encounter just the summer. summer? So during the DeFi summer. Yeah. Right. As everyone calls it. Okay. So would you say, so obviously we're all in lockdown right now. We're all stuck at home. Uh, we're receiving all of these, or a lot of people are receiving the stimulus checks, uh, spending a lot of time in front of the screen. That's the environment that we're in right now. Do you feel like COVID has accelerated the rate of adoption? Oh, for cryptocurrencies? Yeah, of course. yeah, of course. Right. You know, you got nothing else to do. You're sitting there and you got this money. And if you put it in the bank, it's going to make you nothing, you know, and, and, you know, it's like Dogecoin is, fantasy sports, it's daily fantasy for crypto. And, and so it's people are getting are learning from it, people are getting into it. And from there, you know, you, you people are expanding into other places, or you read about it, you see what's going on with Bitcoin, and Ethereum, and their pricing, and you want to know more. And again, you know, when interest rates are this low, people are taking greater chances, because it's, I'm going to make one half of 1%, you know, and so Five years from now, my $600 is going to be worth $608 or whatever, right? So why not, right? Let me let me buy $600 worth of Ethereum or, or Bitcoin or whatever it is, since you can buy it on a fractionalized basis and see where it goes. And, you know, then you start talking to your friends and your friends start talking among each other and people are making money. Everybody's going to get excited about it. And I think that's really what led to it this summer. Sure. And I could also argue like that's why we're seeing a large spike in the NFT cycle, right? And, and more Absolutely. people launching NFTs, which you're profoundly excited about. I see you going on Twitter rants, preaching about NFTs Damn. and their yeah. opportunity. T tell me more about why, why are you so excited about this? So we were talking about learning solidity and learning about smart contracts right. and everything, right? And so like I do in all this stuff like DeFi or even with NFTs, I went to minable.app and because someone told me that was the cheapest place to learn how to do these things, right? And so I minted some things and I put it out there. And the next thing I, and I, so I just took 10 GIFs of me, you know, doing this, going to work out. And I put them out there for 25 bucks a piece, whatever it was in ETH, thinking no one's going to spend any money on this, but, you know, I'm going through it all. And, I, and then I, I see it and it's like royalties. What would you like your royalties on resales to be? I'm like, oh my God, what a game changer. That just changed the nature of selling anything digital, period, end of story. And then the next thing I know, my little GIFs had sold out and they were getting five and $10,000 and my royalties are raking in, right? And I'm going, oh Lord, this is not what I expected at all 
but I need to learn more about smart contracts and royalties and the, you know, um, the EIPs that come along with it. And what is it, 2981 and what's going on with, with royalties there and how they were going to be expanded and are there opportunities there for me? And, you know, because it's not just about a collectible. It's not just about top shots. It's not just about crypto punks. It's not just about any one of those things. In my mind, it's what is not being, what are these not being used for that are perfect applications? And in business, I, I think the collectible side of it is going to be a smidgen compared to being able to monetize corporate IP. So before we even jump into that, because I think there are so many possibilities within NFTs, right? And I want to dive deeper into all these business use cases. But so right now, digital art has proven that NFTs are actually a thing. There's a lot of value being generated. Now I'm seeing the music industry. Have you started dabbling with that side as well? Like scope yeah, with the music industry? Yeah, right? of course. Yeah, I mean, from Euler Beats, right? Generative right. Um, music, which I thought was brilliant, um, to talking to artists and seeing what they're doing to trying to come up with approaches because right now everybody's trying to see just how much people will spend on collectibles, right? So you see Grimes and what's happening there. You saw Kings of Leon and what happened there. Um, and then you see Tyga and some others just doing some basic artwork and not really releasing music, but it's all geared towards collectible. To me, that's not where the real money is going to be because that kind of balances out, you know, cause it all becomes long tail at some point where there's so many people that are chasing that, right? You're not gonna see the highs for a few people will get higher as more people come in, but for everybody else, it'll just balance out and there'll be an equilibrium. But for just selling music, the question becomes, can you do it? Um, can you come up with an alternative to Spotify or Pandora um, or you know, um, Apple Music? And I'm not talking about streaming for free. It's just like, okay, is it better to issue a, you know, maybe not an Ethereum because of gas fees, to, to put out a song that is 99 cents, knowing that it's perishable, right? When you're bored with it, you're bored with it. And there can be a resale marketplace, just like back in the day, there used to be for CDs and DVDs. Sure. Or is it better to start going back old school and instead of releasing individual singles, do it as albums and concepts, right? So it all ties together. So you have artwork, like back when I was a kid, you'd buy an album and there'd be Led Zeppelin and you know House of the Holies, and there'd be a really cool art, you know, cover art. And then there'd be eight, 10, 12 songs, whatever it is. And you'd play it over and over again. And when you were done with it, you go resell it, you know, for a few bucks. And then you use that money to buy something else. So are we going to see, is it better to say $9.99 for, or $12.99 or $14.99 selling it on, um, you know, and nifty music, whatever it ends up being, right? Or Rarible or Minable or OpenSea, whatever. Um, and the artist gets their 97.5%, right. you know, and they pay out to the publishers and writers and all that, just like they normally would, but it's automated, first of all, and then they get part of the resale value. And you're not paying 30% to Apple Music, you know, right. there's, you know, so the question becomes, you know, if you sell it that way and it unlocks to an MP3 that gets resold, but you keep the NFT and, you know, you, you know, it, it burns and you can't automatically burn the MP3, right? but it won't unlock if it's already unlocked, right? Or right. you can put in certain restrictions, I think. Um, but you can figure that side, out, that side out technologically. But if you have a resale market for music like that, the artists are gonna be far better off and you don't have, you know, there's not as many fingers in the pie either. And you know, the crazy part of all this is that it's, it's insane how this concept of the starving artist was such an accepted term right and that was just the thing like if you're going into the creative side you're going to be a starving yep. artist and people took that risk right and nfts allow for that new opportunity for yeah. people to take control of their stuff but here's no, the question go ahead go ahead right? no, I, here's here's what i want to ask like it makes sense from the artist perspective okay but from my perspective from a spotify user right i'm listening to unlimited un unlimited music for an x amount per month right and now artists are going to start telling me i need to drop 30 bucks on an album like there's a there's a whole disconnect over here so do you think that the artists have the control over the audience like where do you see that shift it's a great question it depends on the artist obviously but at the same time it depends on the simplicity that you create for it because at the end of the day i mean okay well you can download a bunch of stuff but at the end, end of the day you're going to buy it where and how and when you want it Right. And so if you make it a better experience for the consumer, then you can get them away from the streaming services. 
if you don't, then they're going to bitch and complain that it still should be. But, you know, I think what will end up happening is that, and I'm guessing, but that the streaming services will be singles driven, right? You might have a playlist for a particular artist and, you know, you might um, have your own specialized playlist for singles, but artists will sell concepts, you know, like albums, right? And they'll add enough value to them that if you're truly a fan and you don't need a lot of fans, right? You don't, you know, most artists aren't selling millions of, of units and they're not streaming, you know, hundreds of millions of streams and making money from it. And so, you know, if you could sell a concept album with a variety of different digital value points, um, every time you buy one for 12, 14 or 1995, you're going to have the hardcore fans really buy in. And if you, you know, if you've got 10,000 of them spending 20 bucks, that's $200,000, which for, you know, for most artists is far more than they'll make from streaming. Sure. No, there's, there's definitely, I, I'm very excited on the, the whole point of, of targeting like your most hardcore fans, your most hardcore believers in creating unique content for them, selling them as unique collectibles, one of ones, whatever, one of tens, whatever they may be. Well, that's what's making uh, all the whole NFT market work, right? Right. People who are getting paid are the ones that have a community. And right. if you've got, you know, if you've got an online community of people that are just rabid fans, doesn't matter what it is. If you're people, if you're, you know, amused, if you're Grimes, if you paint cars, it, it, it doesn't matter if you can turn it into a digital product and tokenize it. And but you just have to have that following. I think where people don't where people misunderstand is they think if you just put it up there that people are just going to buy it because it's there. And there's some of that. Like I'll, I'll go on Minable and I'll find you know, artwork from somebody that I just, that just, you know, that I like, right. That just reaches me and, you know, and just to do it and support them and stuff like that. But um, that's the exception, not the rule. Sure. So what does your NFT portfolio consist of right now? Like who, well, who, who are you buying? Who are you scouting? What's going on? I just did. What the hell was the name of it? Um, hold on. Let me see if I can find them. Because I've seen you purchase all these different NFTs and like you tweeting about them and saying, oh, this was fun. This was cool. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious to know, like, how big is your NFT portfolio as well, we speak? People send me so much shit, right? Once my, <laughs> once my address got, one of my addresses got public, right? My ECF address, they just started sending me all kinds of stuff, which was cool. Um, there was some cool stuff. But there was a lot of junk. And the next DIP has to be a refusal op option, right? Where from a certain user or you can sure. just cancel it. Um, without having to pay to burn it. But the last one I did, and oh my God, I can't find it. And, and um, as you find it, I, I saw this tweet. Uh, you got very, very lucky. You got one of the rarest passes ever uh, from poopoo.eth. Uh, and you got a membership pass. So congrats on that. I, saw I didn't even know one that. Of those. <laughs> <laughs> like I've got 200 NFTs and things that are in my wallet when I go to check it. And so I'll look for poopoo.eth. There you go. Look for poopoo. Oh, that's, that's for Gampunks. That's the last one I bought. Nice, nice. Very cool. Yeah. So when okay, so we're we're in this NFT moment. Everybody's talking about it. Uh obviously there's a there's a hype here. There's a bubble here at some point, right? Yeah. It's either building, either we're approaching it. When do you think it's gonna pop? Okay. And that's part one. Part two, how do you think a post bubble pop environment may look like? for a lot of these brand new up and coming artists that really picked up steam because of NFTs. So there's two things. There's, there's not necessarily the bubble is going to pop, but the prices will find their own level, right? It's just like the stock market. The stock market isn't going to stay where it is unless interest rates stay really low. And if interest rates stay really low, then, you know, like we talked about before, there's no other place to put your money. So people are going to put their money into alternative assets like NFTs. If interest rates get up to three, four, five percent, then you'll see the prices start to come down some, whether it's the stock market, um, maybe crypto, maybe not um, in terms of crypto assets. But for NFTs, excuse me, I think um, there's that brown sugar bourbon. Um, <laughs> but you'll see um, some of the less popular, the interim, the second tier, you'll see their prices come down. Now, post that, you know. The artists are going to have to be more creative. The platforms, the marketplaces are going to have to be more creative. Um, now, the, the beginning of that comes from getting beyond wallets as the, the foundation for making transactions. That's just a piece of shit right there, right? I mean, that's why NBA Top Shots has done so well, because buying a moment on NBA Top Shots is just using your credit card, and it's like buying socks on Amazon. Right? Sure. Where, and Nifty Gateway does a great job of that as well, and, and but 
most they're priced in Ethereum or they're priced, you know, in um, wrapped Ether, whatever it may be. And that just complicates things, which reduces the size of the market. And if you look at NBA Top Shots, you know, they have 100,000 customers. If you look at CryptoPunks, you know, and I forget what it was. I haven't looked on CryptoSlam um, for the past few days, but, you know, they have even fewer. And so if the, the number one marketplace only has 100,000 buyers, that just tells you it's tiny and we're just in the beginning. So, you know, there's no winners yet. They're just the early leaders. So so then a post pop environment won't won't have too much effect on the prices of art. Right. You don't think people are going to start devaluing specific pieces. It's going to create well, more exposure. Yeah, okay. of course they will. Just like you see in the in the physical art market. Okay. You know, prices go up and down. One, you know, when people have a lot of money and the stock market's up and interest rates are low, prices go way up. You know, during after the financial crisis, prices went way down. You know, in March of 2020, you know, when the pandemic hit, prices for everything went down. So, you know, there there's it's not a stable coin. It's not a stable NFT, right? And, and so you're you're going to see price movement, but that's okay. You know, over time, it you know, do what it's supposed to do. Sure. No, it, it's super interesting. It's very exciting. Uh, I love seeing a lot of like people who didn't have the opportunity to showcase themselves as Instagram artists now picking up steam and creating a career for themselves. Uh, the whole concept of starting artists, uh, starving artists is now disappearing. Right. And people well, are starting. I mean, remember, even with this, 99% of the artists are still going to starve. Right? <laughs> but the difference is the gatekeepers have changed. So, you know, you go from because you can still post yourself on your stuff, a picture of your stuff on a website. Right. You know, and and get it online pre NFT. And and now you can go on, you know, you just mint it any way you choose and you go into, um, you know, any of the marketplaces. And if you're a standard token, it's going to show up on OpenSea and Minable and everywhere else. Right. Rarible. And so you have the opportunity. But what I think starving artists need to know is they've still got to go out and sell. Yeah. You know, there's not a gallery that you can't get in because the curator or museum you can't get in because the curator's keeping you out. But you're one of 50,000 pieces of art that are on a marketplace and you have to find a way for your piece or your collection or whatever it is to stand out. And so you have to work to to get people to that piece. Right. Whether it's tweeting, you know, whether it's promoting on Instagram you know, like we, um, one of my companies, um, Leverage, bought NFTs at NFTs on Instagram. And what we've been trying to do is just feature somebody. Now we're not up to 10,000 followers yet, so we can't just do a swipe up, swipe up. <laughs> so go follow us on Instagram. All right. Everybody too. Um, but once we get there, it'll be okay. Here's a, a piece of art that Adam did swipe up and it'll take you to the marketplace so you can just buy it. So let, I was actually about to ask you about that because I came across that NFT page when I was looking for NFT content. So other than just featuring people, what's what's the motivation for having the at NFT uh, sign? Like, what, well, just, what are you trying to do with it. that? That's it. Yeah, I mean, we'll see where it goes, right? It was just okay. like it was available to us and it was like, yes, we'll take it. And, you know, let's see where we can go with it. You know, maybe we'll feature people. Um, I mean, we've been featuring people and, you know, we'll see what else we'll do. Maybe we'll mint things from there. I don't know yet. Cool. It'd be interesting to to see Instagram implement a feature that would allow uh, minting and selling just like they yeah, do with yeah, all their. That's something we're working on actually, because there's ways to do it where you can just take the, you know, um, that you can just take the picture, whatever it is you post or video, sure. and just tokenize it. You know, sure. and so we're just trying to find the best way to do it. Awesome. So I want to I want to kind of jump into a tweet that you posted. I think it was a couple of days ago. So, quote, I don't think that people realize the real growth in NFTs isn't now. Art, music, photos, short videos are the proof of concept in just the beginning. The real growth comes when corporate IP goes and then you put add IP to NFT. That changes revenue streams for all companies, large and small. So yep. obviously the creative side is getting a lot of exposure. I know you talked about textbooks in the past. What other what other creative or not creative uh, sectors, but what other sectors are ripe for disruption all in them. the NFT space? All of them. But like, give give me some examples and some so, use cases. So DocuSign, like, so DocuSign, okay. the DocuSign, right? Yeah. Where they send you a, a thing, um, they send you a contract to sign. It's just going to be far better on a blockchain, right? Um, and um, company does a white paper on something, you know, an AI company releases research um, and they publish it to archive and they could also publish it as an NFT to show that it's theirs and it's confirmed theirs. Um, and then they can also sell it and resell it, you know, cliff notes, you know, you're done, you buy them for your class 
and you got to throw away the book or you buy it, you know, a download and you're done with it. They don't, they do everything possible. The digital versions are nearly impossible to resell, right? Why not resell as an NFT and a percentage of that goes back to the creator books, you know, just like we talked about music, but for corporations, any type of intellectual capital that could be digitized, you know, one of my speeches, um, tickets with the Mavs, all those things can be turned into NFTs. Amazing. And I think we're going to see a lot of that kind of take place over the next couple of years, oh, two yeah, to three to sure. four years. And I'm, ex I'm excited to see the, I mean, it's sad, but it'd be cool to see like we're going bankrupt because of NFTs or <laughs> we're, we're, we're losing, we're going out of business because of this brand new technology. Uh, and you know I, what? Let me I, just tell you, that happened yeah. like the early days of the internet. Everything went from analog to digital and people talked about convergence, right? The convergence of sure. analog and digital. That was the big word. Well, now we've seen the digital implementations of things that were analog and post-internet, you know, the last five to seven years, you've seen it becoming servitized, right? Where it becomes a service, an online service like DocuSign. Um, now you're going to see the blockchainization of all that, where those same things can be put on a public blockchain encrypted, where you need it to be encrypted, you know, validated, depending on how the blockchain works and available far more easily with a lot less overhead and administration assigned to it. A lot less computing power required to manage it, a lot fewer employees does, uh, required to deal with it. And so you're gonna see the blockchainization of a lot of applications over the next five to 10 years. Amazing, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, as I did some more research about you, I know you got your start in the entrepreneurship side of things, trading baseball cards, right? You were, among other you were a big fan and among other things, I remember seeing an interview, you even pulled some cards from the left-hand side of your, there you go, pull it out. Right here. <laughs> Let's see. My Jake Vosco card, the first number 77 before Luka Doncic for the Dallas Mavericks, the only nice. one. My John Brisker card, yeah, so I got, you know, just things that I've accumulated. I wouldn't say collected, but I would say accumulated. All right. So you have some physical assets yeah. that could technically turn into digital assets, right? So there's this new trend going on where I think it was a couple of days ago, uh, someone uh, bought a, an original Banksy uh, art piece. They digitized it and then took a video of themselves. Those are my guys. That those are your guys. guys. Yeah, those are my guys. <laughs> so I was like, what the hell are you doing? There, there you go. So would you consider doing that with your baseball cards and all these other physical yeah, collectibles? Yeah, I don't mind doing that at all. Yeah. You know, there's right. I won't. Like I've got like a Luca uh, Dirk um, side basketball back there, my <laughs> Rodman jersey. Now the trophy? No. Wait, so what about if you distribute all these trophies, the, the NBA championship trophy as an NFT? What would would you do that? Yeah, I mean, no. I would do a, a duplicate of it, right? No, I want the original one, Mark. I want you the want original one. Oh, <laughs> so it can trade on the secondary market. <laughs> That's okay. I don't need the money. <laughs> smooth, smooth. Um, okay. I, I want to jump more into the, the Bitcoin narrative uh, because you have mixed feelings about Bitcoin uh, and as a form, as a, as a global currency and as a store of value. Um, but I, I kind of want to target all my Bitcoin bros and Bitcoin chicks in the Michael Saylors of the world. All right. right. Uh, making an argument that we're in an inflationary monetary environment that's rapidly increasing. Okay. Credit is flowing. Uh, and because of this current situation, people are calling Bitcoin as the ultimate hedge or not the ultimate, but a great hedge for inflation. Right. I see. Like, why? Why, why are you so why? against that? No, I'm not against it. The question okay. is why. Look, as an algorithmic source of scarcity and okay. a store of value, yes, yes. But that's supply and demand, which has nothing to do with hedging against inflation. Nothing. Just like gold has nothing to do as a hedge against inflation. Nothing. Um, you know, it, it makes for a great sales pitch. You know, it, it's like price earnings ratios and buy and hold. All those are narratives to sell stocks. You know, this whole thing of Bitcoin being a hedge or any cryptocurrency being a sure. hedge against inflation, there's just no connection there whatsoever. None. And particularly since, you know, it's it's available at the whim of the hodlers. You can't have something that's only available at the whim of hodlers um, and miners become be a hedge to to fiat. You just can't. So, and that, that goes with your whole statement of uh, you'd rather have bananas over Bitcoin, well, right? Okay, so the bananas was a few years ago. So, let me, <laughs> so, since 2012, I guess it's been. Sure. 
you know, like I mentioned earlier, I, I wrote software, distributed database stuff. Right. So, you know, the blockchain stuff I understood and it made perfect sense to me as, as a platform for, for development. Um, and back then in 2012, you know, even though the original white paper said store value and currency, um, a lot of people were pitching it as a currency. And that was the big thing. Cryptocurrency it was going to be a global currency that you can use anywhere. Remember the guy who went across the country only spending Bitcoin? People, you know, who, you know, people trying to prove that it was a currency. I'm like, it's, it's a cult. It's yeah, a well, cult. But it's not a currency. You can still be a cult and not be a currency, right? And that's effectively what it was because, you know, look what happened in 2017. I forget how they, what they named it when, you know, people realized with that block size, um, you're not going to, you can't do many transactions. And then the conversation back then was, um, here comes, um, here comes um, lightning, right? And lightning is like the ETH 2.0 of 2017, sure. right? It was going to solve all the problems, but we know what happened there. And then we saw Bitcoin cash and Bitcoin, what SV, I think it is. Yeah. Bitcoin SV, all right. these, and all that, these sub chains and forks and whatnot. Right. right. And, and, you know, now Bitcoin SV is, is, you know, it, is in the Bahamas, they use it as, you know, digital currency and this and that, right? <laughs> Bitcoin is just, is not currency. Yes, you can use it to exchange value globally and create, but you're not, it's just too slow, too limited, um, too expensive to really be um, a true currency. Doesn't mean it's not viable. But when I got asked that question back then, pre-DeFi, the utility was only as a store of value. And so what I said was, it's like gold. It's a store of value. It's more religion. It's worth what someone will pay for it. I said it then. I stand by it. But in terms of utility, pre-DeFi, a banana has more utility because I can eat a banana. <laughs> and you can enjoy it and get your potassium and all your I, vitamins exactly and nutrients. Exactly right. You know, and I need my <laughs> potassium. I sweat a lot. And, I get and it. So, so that's where the utility came from. But then all of a sudden you started getting wrapped Bitcoin and you started getting smart contracts and you started getting DeFi and applications there. And so now the utility has changed where, like I said earlier, you can have a, a fraction of a Bitcoin, a full Bitcoin, whatever it is, and be your own personal banker. There's so many things that you can do now so that if I got my Bitcoin and whether it goes up or down in value, you know, I can take a percentage of that and borrow and lend and earn income and being my own personal banker, that wasn't ever, that when I got interviewed, um, that wasn't an opportunity, at least not that I was aware of yeah. um, in 2017. And let, let's talk more about becoming a personal banker and kind of divulge into the whole Dogecoin path, okay? Of you being your own, I guess, peer-to-peer -peer, uh, ticket seller or whatever you want to sell tickets, merch, whatever it may be, right? Uh, we talked earlier, you accepted over, what is it, over 20,000 transactions of Doge, right? You're well, the 20, largest. 20,000 Doge worth of transactions. There you go. That's what it was. There you go. Uh, and Doge also shortly jumped right after that too, coincidentally. I didn't even know. Yeah, because I, I wasn't yeah, tracking. Of course that. not. Of course not. Right. <laughs> so like you, you're you're a big believer in narratives, okay? Uh, what What's the Doge narrative? Why, why were you so excited about this beyond seeing it's like. It's fun. It's, okay. it's just easy way to have fun. Okay. And, you know, it's a nickel. And, you know, when my, when I first bought some for my son on the, um, on the Robinhood app, we said it was less than a penny, you know? And so you spend a dollar, you get a hundred of them and he's watching it and learning about crypto. You know, now it's up around a nickel and you spend, you know, $20 and you get, you know, 20 times four, 400 worth. Right. And that's something that, you know, it's better than buying a lottery ticket and spending $20 worth of a lottery ticket. It's sure. probably more rewarding than playing daily fantasy on FanDuel or, or um, DraftKings thinking you're going to make money there playing against all the rocket scientists that, that have figured this stuff out. And so it's a great way to learn. It's a great way to have fun. It's great entertainment. You're watching it all the time. It's addictive and it's cheap and the downside is negligible. So even if it goes from 0.0577 to 0.0421, right? And you lose, you know, 1.5 cents on your 100 of them. You know, you lost a dollar fifty, and you've had a lot of fun. So that that's why I've gotten into it. That's why I've had so much fun because the the entertainment value is so high. And then you you add the entertainment value of the community where everybody's just come together, and I get to put rocket ships on my tweets and you know Doge to the moon and all this. You know, it's just fun and sure. people have to stop taking it so seriously. It's not meant to be serious. It's, it, 
it wasn't designed to do anything, nothing at all. And, you know, it's the Seinfeld of crypto assets. You know, the, the cryptocurrency about nothing. And Seinfeld was a great show and it was entertaining, even though it was about nothing. And so is Dogecoin. And I think it's amazing. I love it. You know, it's funny because after the tweets from Elon Musk and now the Mavs accepting Doge and a lot of the hype being de- uh, generated in Doge, a lot of my family comes to me to talk crypto. Okay? Of course. For, for whatever reason. Okay. And my uncle... Right. What an irony. Right. My uncle, for whatever reason, says, comes up to me. He's like, oh, I just spent 10K on Doge. You know, I'm like, why? Why did you do that? He's like, oh, I saw Elon Musk talking about it. I saw this person (laughs) talking about it. And then my cousin comes up to me. He's like, yo, I just dropped a thousand dollars on Doge. Is it going up? Is it going to hit a dollar? And I'm like, man, put your money in Ethereum. Put your money in Bitcoin. Put your money in DeFi. So I I love I love the playfulness. It's better than them going to to Vegas. Right. It's better than than them gambling because. In essence, the downside, yeah, could it go back down under a penny? Yes, right. But you know, there's so much, there's so much fun with it. It's it's not likely for it to go down that much more. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I think they're, they're, that with the fun element comes a lot of new adoption and a lot of new entrance to crypto. Yeah, so look, if they looked at it as an investment and they're spending 10k, thinking you know it's good, Doge to a dollar, you know. <laughs> That's different, right? Sure. You know, if, if you're spending thousands of dollars, you're probably putting your money in the wrong place. Yeah. You know, um, but if you're doing it for the fun of it, right? You know, what's the why harm? Not? That's yeah, your argument. Not? What's the harm? Why not? Why not? There's yeah. a whole lot better than most places, and you got a chance to make some money. There you go. You guys heard it here first. Why not? <laughs> uh, let Let's. I, I want to kind of dive deeper into your whole exposure to crypto, right? Do you have a right-hand man, woman, or a group of people? You're, you're your sole info of information. So what, what do you look at? I talk to, no, there's some guys that I talk to that really help me in terms of DeFi, okay. um, but more on a macro base. Well, one of my friends is really into it um, and trades it daily sure. and, and is chasing the yields and knows what he's doing and, and gets early info on the narratives. But, um, you know, so he'll he's the one who really got me um, made me aware of DeFi and all that was going on when he was talking about all this money he was making. But um, most of it, I just try to figure out on my own. Amazing. And I know, I know you, you, I saw you mentioned like you're a subscriber of the Defiant. You love getting those newsletters. Uh, any, any major sites that you're a big fan of that you kind of, that's your go-to source of info or uh, influencers even, or stuff like that. I just want to pick your brain. Like, where are you getting your information? <laughs> I mean, I go on to Dune Analytics a lot. Um, cool. I go, you know, I'm figuring out EtherScan more and more every day. Cool. Um, let's see. Um, I use um, BYBT, Cointelegraph, CoinWorld. CryptoSlam is a big source for NFT stuff, OpenSea stuff. OpenSea's got some good models. Um, I use Zapper um, for a lot of stuff, you know. Nice. Uh, I use, um, what's the other stuff I'm getting here? Um, live coin watch just to get info on new coins. So, I mean, just a little bit of everywhere, you know, I use mintable to mint to the store. I invested in them. Um, you know, so nice. yeah, there's one called espresso that is coming out that I'm starting to get a beta on that I invested in that is kind of an, if this, then that it allows you to set triggers that makes it really easy for you to track things. So, you know, there's just, I, I just try to find the information wherever I can. And if one thing is good, I stick with it. And if not, then I go to the next thing. I love it. Uh, and I, as we approach the the end of the conversation, uh, I want to be respectful of your time, of course. Uh, I put together this segment in honor of you, right? It's I'm debuting Uh-oh. it for the first time uh, on blockchain and booze. Uh, and it uh, ties back to the story of you saying you'd rather have, there you go, cheers. <laughs> you'd rather own bananas over Bitcoin, okay? So this next segment I call uh, Bananas or okay? <laughs> And all this cracks and, me up. All this banana shit just cracks me up. <laughs> it, it's amazing. So Bananas Or, the newest segment on Blockchain and Booze, where I, I hit you off with a few fire round questions. And you got to tell me you, <laughs> whether, you, whether you'd pick a banana or whatever ask. Right. All right. Ready. You ready to go? Let's go. Let's do it. All right. So very easy, very simple. Bananas or apples? Bananas. Potassium. Bananas. Potassium. There you go. Bananas or ETH 2.0? Um... Oof. 
Oof. I'll go with the 2.0 for now. <laughs> nice. <laughs> bananas or kids pitching you on Shark Tank? Bananas. Kids are the worst. <laughs> kids are the worst. Of kids and animals because you can't be mean, right? And, and oh, it's a long story. All right. We don't have to get into it. All right. Bananas or Luca Don Chich? Oh, Luca, right? Luca all day, every day. Even if it's like an endless amount of bananas? Even if it's every banana in the universe. <laughs> Amazing. Bananas or presidential candidacy? Oh, bananas. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, bananas or the wave at games? Bananas every day. If you ever want to see me, you know, rub your fingers on a chalkboard, chew with your mouth open or do the wave. Those are the three things that annoy me more than anything. <laughs> Amazing. And then last but not least, the most important question of them all. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Bananas or blockchain and booze? Oh, blockchain and booze. Yeah, that's absolutely. what I'm talking about. That's what, what I'm talking about. What, what a dumb uh, question. What, what an even question. So there you guys have it. Bananas or the newest segment on blockchain and booze. Shout out to Queen George that helped me make that audio and her little brother. Uh, before I let you go, do you have any questions for me? Sure. The stuff, all the shit I just said for the last hour, was I right or wrong? I guess we'll have to find out. Yeah, right. I don't know. I, don't know. I mean, all, all of this is a, is a spray and pray. So a little bit about what we do at Draper Growing Home, right? We're an early stage investment fund. Uh, we're a studio and we're, we have this new fund that we use to double down on our studio investments, right? And a lot of what we're doing uh, is, is spray and pray. Right. Yeah, and and that, that and I use and, that term all the time now, too. Right. Because there you go. Yep. And we're, we're so early into the space that you're really betting on people. You're betting on on problems that need to be solved. Uh, and you're betting, I guess, on community, too, because as Lunar Crush says it, there's no crypto without community. And you're seeing the, the ETH cult. You're seeing the BTC cult. You're seeing the, the chain link. All the you're, maxis, right? All, all the maxis. And while it's great to see that at the end of the day, it has to come down to how we believe the usability, right? How easy it is, like you said, to integrate and use a wallet. How easy is it to send Bitcoin or Ethereum, whatever it may be, from point A to point B? Wallets are the biggest disaster ever, right? The whole idea, you know, and I get to know your customer stuff, but there's, you know, MetaMask works, but like some of the others don't even work. But MetaMask isn't intuitive in the least bit. And, and so there's got to be a better way, particularly for, for new users. What do you think happens there? In terms of what? People people migrating? What, what comes next? Yeah, because, you know, just like there was, you know, there was Mozilla, then there was Netscape, you know, then we got to Firefox and Microsoft, and then we got to Chrome, right? Um, it was just an evolution. What comes next with wallets? So it's it's a good question. Look, from from my perspective, I'm a big believer in this whole Web3 uh, vision, right? And people being uh, their own banks, like you said, people doing their own level of ownership, transferring their value directly to their end user, right? Uh, in terms of usability, in terms of, of people integrating with wallets, I mean, I, 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 it's funny because I was literally at someone's house yesterday showing them how to use OpenSea uh, and going through the process of downloading MetaMask. And it's such a, a, a painful process. The onboarding is awful. Yes. And, and, and while, while there's a lot of benefit with doing the whole credit card transaction side, right. And getting people on there ASAP and creating all the wallets and all that stuff on the back end without them noticing, it kind of defeats the whole purpose of web three to some extent, because right, there's no, still like on top shots, you can't even get your money out. Right. So the idea of transferring is, well, I mean, you can do some um, moments transfer, but you're not really using flow to, you know, as a blockchain for the most part, right? right. It just is a database. So, so I, I think everybody, obviously at the end of the day, the usability needs to get much friendlier people. There needs to be less barriers to entry. Opening up a new wallet needs to be easier than literally holding that piece of paper of your private, of your private seats to your heart in a near dear place. If you lose it, you're screwed. Like that whole entire process needs to get simplified to the extent yep. where it's like, I just swipe up my phone type of, so let me type ask of interaction. Would you think people are going to open up physical bank locations that do these things? So you, the, the bank teller of 2022 is someone who helps you set up your wallet and takes your, um, your account that you have in that bank and connects it directly right there and right then. And would that be better and simpler than making it all digital right, like it is right now?
Look, I, I think there's there's going to be a market for all of that. I think whoever simplifies it the most, whoever wants to deal with a headache of managing their own finances, you're going to see that side of the market. Whoever just wants the the Bank of America interface of just literally logging in, being able to call someone, doing that whole Not side. Not even that, of, right? Just just the, the initial phase, to someone to teach you how to do it, to help, just like that you had too. to help someone, right? I mean, because imagine this. If I set up a retail store in a mall that needs the traffic, and I said, set up your crypto accounts here, you know, we'll take the checks from this bank, who's any bank that's in this mall, and we'll get you set up with a wallet and it's free. How much traffic do you think you get? I don't know. I mean, it depends on how easy it is. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. Like if I just walk in, there's Adam and Mark right there saying, right. okay, we'll set you up. We're going to get you all set up with a wallet and we'll walk you through the process. Yeah. I think they're going to get a lot of traffic in my opinion. I think if they dumb it down to the point where it's like, I won't make it scary for you. Look at all these beautiful colors. Look at all these beautiful buttons. You just got to click here and we'll literally guide you through it through our UI and UX. Like, yep. and it's a seamless bring process. Your laptop. Yeah, bring your laptop That's with it. you. Yeah, bring your laptop, pop up Chrome. We'll add the extension. We'll, Why not? We'll put the money in. Why not? And I think, and just to drop Ave here, because I'm such a big fan of what they're doing and yeah, what Stani is doing. I agree. Stani, I agree. And like, and, and, now I saw a video of they're going to be there's going to be Avi ATMs at some point, right? And physical locations, like all that stuff, makes so much sense in the grand scheme of, well, scheme but, of you things. Know, right? and I'm talking to a company that does ATMs, and first of all, on the first thing, you know, we're talking to a company about setting up at Mavs games when we can have fans, and part of the value add, we'll just get you, you know, bring a laptop, you know, early, you know, come to the arena, and we'll set you up. And on ATMs. It's not about buying crypto. It's about getting your money out. Sure. Right. Because sure. that's the, once you get it in there, the hardest thing to do is to turn it back into fiat and, you know, cash, cash. You know, you can use it as a credit card. That's not necessarily difficult. But actually getting cash out is a hassle because even using your ATM is so expensive or using your credit card for cash is even more expensive. So yeah. the whole concept of ATMs is, is, is going to be interesting. Yeah. And I, I think, look, COVID has accelerated this even more. I went and studied at USC and I saw what they were doing over there. They no longer accept uh, cash at specific uh, uh, storefronts, restaurants, right. whatever it may be. Like we're going, I think we're getting to a position where we're going completely cashless. The whole narrative of digital makes complete sense. Well, I mean, if you look like a USDC, right? I mean, there we you lose go. money in every penny we make. The government loses money, you know, $80 million a year on pennies, uh, you know, 110, no, 50 million on pennies. 80 million on nickels and I think 110 million on dimes that pays for us to go to USDC right there and then, yeah. you know, cause you, that's an annual expense. Do you think if the federal reserve doesn't hop on this digital currency, the CBDC trend, right? That's happening right now. Do you think there's going to be at some point a new federal reserve that's strictly no. digital? No, no, because everything that's like that'll get taxed. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And, uh, and they're not that stupid, right? Remember it's just like, you know, PCs have been around for 40 years now. And the people that were the PC dinosaurs, the tech dinosaurs that just said no to everything, they're dead, right? And the, you know, the 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 crypto natives, the, the particularly Gen Z, not even millennials, right? But Gen Z, their most valuable assets are on their phone. Unless yeah. you have a house or a car, which Gen Z doesn't have the house yet, maybe has a car, everything that you value. Your brand is your Instagram or Snapchat or TikTok account, right? Everything that you've ever captured in your life that you find dear to you, you keep on your phone and people scream and yell if they have to remove things from their phone if they run out of storage, right? And so that whole concept. <laughs> <laughs> Legit me like three weeks ago. <laughs> and and that, that's why people don't, you know, people my age don't fully understand that this is not a transition. This is not hard. This is natural. It's just that you don't understand it, you yeah. know, and that's why Top Shots works. You don't want to deal with all the physical attributes of all this shit. Right. Yeah. So, there, you know, it, it's, it's going to change whether the, the feds deal with it or not. But I think, you know, the next generation will make it easier and safer and better. And, and we'll see a USDC. Amazing. I think that's a great place to leave off. Mark, there cheers. Welcome to the boot. Thank you for being on the boozer tank. It was an boozer tank. Absolutely. Nights on ABC, brown sugar bourbon. Always in your heart. Let's do it. Let's do it. I love it, man. Wow. That was heavy. That was heavy. Amazing. Guys, thank you so much. Before I let you go, there's the whole networking segment right now of blockchain and booze that makes us the blockchain of the booze. 
Come join this link over here, meet.blockchainbooze.io. And basically everybody that's been watching live, all these thousands of people, we get to meet, congregate, take shots, hang out, join, laugh, and just create madness with each other. So meet.blockchainbooze.io. Uh, Mark, I invite you to come as well. I know you're a busy guy. If you want to take yeah. some shots with random people, yeah, I wish I you're, could. More, I wish you're I more than welcome to. Uh, but anyways, I'm going to let you go, Mark. You've been the man again. Thank you. And I hope to have you again at some point. Anytime, Adam. I appreciate it. it was a lot of fun. I love it. All right. Yeah, see you later. Yeah. Uh, guys, before, before I let you go, uh, a quick plug for Draper going home. You see blockchain and booze. I'm the host of this one, but we also have over a hundred industry events that Draper Gorn Holm is putting together throughout 2021. Uh, and a shameless plug, we have our flagship event, LA Blockchain Summit happening November 2nd through 3rd. We have the Global DeFi Summit happening June 24th. And we have our upcoming Security Token Summit happening March 25th this month about two weeks away, three weeks away. And of course, the one and only Alon Gorin with What the Block every Friday at 9.30 a.m. Uh, you guys have been great. I hope to see everyone at the networking session right now. Thank you so much for tuning in uh, and cheers. This has been a production of Industry Pods in association with Evergreen Podcasts Network. Hear this and other industry pods at evergreenpodcasts.com, your favorite podcast app, or listen at industrypods.com for your number one virtual conference podcast experience.